Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. I've got great news. Ooh, I like great news. We have a special director for this week's podcast, and I know we're Ooh. all excited. The amazing Spike Lee is here, and he is going oh. to be directing it. And I'll tell you, it was not actually a tough sell to get him to direct the podcast this week. All we had to do was wear some Levi's 501 button flies. And you know what? I'm not a button fly guy generally, but I can make it work. Hey, you know, I'm down. Just, I mean, the fact that we got to meet Spike Lee, I didn't know he produced podcasts, but uh, this is very exciting. Spike Lee is a man of many talents and many, many thoughts and many reaction gifts about him at the New York Knicks. (laughs) Are you a fan of the uh, films of Spike Lee or excuse me, the joints of Spike Lee? I mean, I'm not, not a, I'm not, not a fan. I'm, you know, I am not as big of a movie buff as you are, frankly. Uh, Zach, what I would say to that is you need to do the right thing and you need to watch some Spike Lee movies. Okay. So (laughs) yes, I thank you for letting me make that terrible joke. Oh, you're, (laughs) You're allowed. The problem is this last Spike Lee movie I watched was the Black Klansman and which was great. Yeah. Uh, But there is not a good way to work that into the conversation organically. No. And and let's be honest with our listeners. Spike Lee is not here. We are. That's not true. That's not true. He's directing. He's directing. And Spike Lee likes to stay behind the camera. He's not he's not a guy who's just going to be like right in the middle of it, taking up all the attention. Wow. Okay. well, you know, that that sounds like the commercial you might be referring to, which is the classic Rob Liefeld Levi's 501 jean commercial with Spike. Folks, (laughs) folks, when people are like, why don't they sell comics like they did in the 90s? In the 90s, Levi's wasn't getting one of the hottest young directors in the world to do commercials with comics artists. So that's why. It's that we're not getting the marketing that we used to get. The other infamous piece of footage from this era is the um, home video VHS series of Stan Lee interviewing who turned out to be most of the image crew. Folks like Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld. And those videos are really funny to go back and watch. The, the ones where Stan Lee makes all of the Rob Liefeld jokes harder and better than anyone ever has before or after. Like Pretty much. Guys, if you think you're being clever making a joke about how Rob Liefeld doesn't draw feet or has a lot of pockets or maybe the anatomy is a little wonky. <laughs> Stanley Martin Lieber got there way before you and say what you will about Stan. The man had charisma. So he delivered it better than you did. 
He sure did. Um, no one, here's the thing. No one has burnt Rob Liefeld harder than Stan Lee looking at his stuff and be like, kid, this sucks. And yet in that video, if you go back and watch it, Stan Lee tries to actually uh, claim joint copyright for a character that Rob Liefeld draws on that program. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Listen, never let it be said that Stan Lee didn't know what he was doing. He sure did. He would Stan. I've said it before. I've, I'll say it again. Stan Lee's the best character that Stan Lee ever created. I'm not the first person to say that, but I'm claiming it right now as Stan Lee would want me to. Have we mentioned on the podcast how the best Stan Lee moment ever is in uh, the Spider-Verse movie where he says, oh, the suit always fits eventually. And then it cuts to a thing saying no refunds. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's the perfect encapsulation of everything Stan Lee. And it came out right after he died. So it's we were great. all feeling emotional about that moment. And then they used it to brutally make fun of Stan Lee. <laughs> it's a great joke. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Stanley does not appear in this uh, in Spike this podcast. Lee podcast. Um, no, Spike he, Lee would Spike Lee would direct a darn good Stanley thing. I don't oh. know what it would be about. I don't know. But like, I, I feel like he could match the pop art sensibilities that you would really need to capture that zeitgeist of the Marvel offices in the sixties. Could be interesting. What we do have instead is Robert the Rob. Liefeld. Yes, he's not here, but we are talking about these books because last week, Zach got uh, a pick. And uh, this week, I jotted down some comics that I wanted to talk about. And we realized that one of them, we weren't sure if we could actually obtain. So we shifted gears and we looked at the list of, of ideas that I had put down. And this one seemed crazy enough that we really wanted to do it. So, it seemed weird that we hadn't talked about it before. Yes. I feel like we've talked about these books a lot offline, but not on our show. So um, this week we are talking about times that X-Men characters crossed over with Rob Liefeld image characters. Well, um, you say image, hold on. Because it's or, or Extreme Studios or Maximum Press. Didn't he have like Awesome Press too or something like that? Awesome Entertainment time? comes after Maximum Press. And there awesome are Entertainment no, is after. No, okay. Yeah, awesome, no awesome, awesome was the one. Awesome was the one he did that he was gonna be like, Well, I'm gonna revive Jack Kirby's The Fighting American. Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah. And but, terrific is the one that stole, not stole, purchased. All of the Young rights blood. to Youngblood and then tried to rip off a bunch of comic creators. While sound, listen, if anyone was going to buy Youngblood, it being a comic studio called Terrific Productions, <laughs> that sounds like one of Rob's names. Yeah. So last week we talked about the Avengers pretty much. And this week we're talking about for primarily um, Rob's version of the Avengers, you know, um, because a lot of people, you know, often cite wildcats and cyber force as being Wild x-men top-offs um but but youngblood is not an x book it is very explicitly supposed to be avengers you know avengers and west coast avengers um except it's the rob's version and it's pretty terrible who's the best member of youngblood and hold on because there's a wrong answer to all of this there is one right answer i was gonna say bad rock it's bad rock yeah we all agree it's the one where he was like what if the thing was a dumb teenager that's it's, great it's fine you know what i mean um i don't care for shaft 
Hawkeye? You mean Hawk? Yeah. Yeah, but Shaft is Hawkeye from all the times before 2011 when Hawkeye was good. Shaft. There's going to be there's going to be some Avengers fans who are going to be like, well, actually, I really like the 80s West Coast <laughs> Avenger leader Hawkeye, and cool, great, good for you. Let's make what I said untrue, but cool. Yeah. So Young Blood, you know, if we we rewind to 1992, um, was an oft delayed but very, very popular miniseries by Rob Liefeld. It only lasted for four issues. And then I think there was a zero issue in there somewhere that he did not draw. It's pretty terrible. It's pretty illegible in a lot of places. And um, for some reason, still kept coming out. Alan Moore wrote it for a little bit. Pretty wild. But um, eventually... Marvel decided that, hey, why not? Let's have it crossover with uh, Rob's other creation, X-Force. And, well, and uh, here's, here's why. And we find out in the first book that we're covering today, Youngblood X-Force. Yes. You remember how we talked about Onslaught one time? And by we, I mean, Adam, you weren't here. So I made a friend of the show, Chris Edelman, talk about Onslaught. And, and I thank you and Chris for that every day. Thank you so much. For relieving me of that burden. Well, to talk about Onslaught. <laughs> after after Onslaught, they decided that actually no one in Marvel was good enough to write the Avengers and make them sell, which is pretty insulting to everyone at Marvel. I would agree. I would agree. Instead, they got Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld to come back and do Heroes Reborn. Which is pretty terrible. It is pretty terrible. And one of the things we got out of that is Rob said, well, I want to do an X-Force crossover with Youngblood. And they said, you will give us sales then? Yes. So this is that. This is Youngblood X-Force. Number one. Yeah. Um, So Youngblood X-Force is um, kind of in a premium format. I found these in a dollar box. I'm holding up my copy. And, um, you know, nice glossy pages. Nice square bound. Now... The thing about this is that while we've been talking about Rob Liefeld, um, Rob Liefeld had nothing to do with, with this book. Whatsoever. That's insulting to the Rob. He did draw the cover. Unlike many, many of the extreme studios comics where Rob is cited as a plotter or a layout artist or whatever. Um, he did not work on this book aside from a variant cover writer here is uh soon to be image co-owner Eric Stevenson and pencils are by Roger Cruz and uh, Stevenson makes an interesting uh, plan here, which is he's going to cross over the purple era X-Force with the standard Youngblood team, which is the current X-Force. And I'm going to be honest, Adam, there's nothing in this book that insinuates that this is something that happened outside of the Jeff Loeb run of X-Force. No, uh, in fact, this you just could. happened during X-Force, right after X-Force 58. Yeah, it really does feel like it's an in-canon kind of event um, with maybe one or two exceptions that we could talk about. Um, and they get sucked into the Mojoverse. Yeah, uh, Mojo's realizing that, you know, the X-Force, X-Men stuff isn't selling as much as it used to, which, boy, I can't believe they let that go to print. Nice shade there from Eric. I Listen. <laughs> Not a huge Eric Stevenson fan in general. <laughs> Love the pettiness of the 90s. That's bad boy attitude right there. 
Yes. Um, and what we get here is really callbacks to things that had not been mentioned since what, like X-Men 11 and 12, 10 and 11. Right. Cause right? Mojo, Mojo himself had not appeared since then. The only appearance of Mojo verse stuff in that time period beyond Shatterstar, who I believe they were setting up to not actually be Mojo related. We're not getting into that Jeff Loeb. No, 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 let's not, let's not do that. Um, but had been that one X babies story right after age of apocalypse. Right. Yep. So here we have not only Mojo, but we also have, uh, Mojo two, the sequel, the sequel, um, <laughs> love not, a Mojo to the sequel <laughs> who we've not seen ever again in regular X-Men continuity to my knowledge in regular X-Men continuity. No, in unbeatable squirrel girl yes <laughs> right yes and when ryan north <laughs> when ryan north put mojo to the sequel in unbeatable squirrel girl i got hyped the fact that there's never been a mojo three is really just a lack of they're missing out they're missing like, out so i'll say the trilogy i'll say i liked the last mojo story that they did which was the unofficial X-Men uh, that Grace Grace Freud did, mm-hmm. uh, or Grace Freud did. Incredibly funny. Uh, if you like our podcast and nothing that else that we've done, go check out Grace Freud's new podcast called The Girl God Experience. Uh, mm. There's a four-episode mini of it on, uh, what's it called? On Earwolf Presents, and then they've just launched uh, her and her co-host, whose name I'm blanking on right now. I've just launched the new show. It's very, very, very funny. Sounds good. Good. Check it out. Listen, it's probably the best podcast by a person who's written X-Men in the last year. <laughs> I I think what's also kind of funny here is that Eric is clearly a fan of Mojo Mayhem because not only does he bring back Mojo 2, the sequel, but he bling, brings back Ricochet Rita and he brings back the agent. The agent plays a significant role in this, in getting Youngblood to get sent somewhere else uh, under contract of Mojo, which all makes sense. What little I know about Youngblood is it's the idea of superheroes would be celebrities, which is, here's the thing, that's a great idea. It would be if the book was about that. And I understand, and then we got a book about that, and it was called X-Force, and then X-Statics, and it was good. <laughs> yes. And actually, actually, Adam, I'm going to. That's an interesting here. point. Have Have you been reading the uh, the ecstatics, uh, the excellent relaunch stuff? I am behind on it, but um, is it good? It's kind of like if no one told Peter Milligan and Mike Allred to stop doing ecstatics. I read the first two, and I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought, it really I thought the didn't... first two were. I thought the first grouping of it the first five issues were fine but something's mm-hmm. kicked into gear recently and i don't know what it is but like i've been sucked into the delight of this weird energy amazing that that book is even coming out it's just crazy it feels like a fever dream but <laughs> it really does it's great and it's not getting talked about uh, yeah which is ridiculous because at minimum michael Holren's drawing it guys. right yeah um so for for fans who may not know what Youngblood is, Youngblood consists of a variety of different superheroes who really aren't that descriptive. You know, Shaft, Shaft has a bow and arrow. Great. Um, Vogue. Vogue's 
Um, yeah, like Bad the Madonna Rock. song. Right. So a lot of these Bad characters... Rock's the young thing. Again, Bad Rock's the good one. Yeah, but there is a team of them, um, and that is the premise. So Stevenson does a really smart thing with uh, getting them into the Mojoverse by having each one of them either sign an autograph or a release, you know, or or something that has to do with their like fame and PR. And uh, they all end up there, and except for Shaft, who ends up in the danger room. Yes, which is how X Force gets pulled into this conflict to begin with. Hey, wait, and did the Rob know that there was already a va- very famous action hero in pop culture named Shaft? It would shock me, absolutely shock me, if the Rob did not know that. And um, it is strange because the original version of Young Blood does have an African American cast member by the name of Chapel, um, but Shaft is um, a white redhead. Shaft is weird. <laughs> I don't get Shaft. Shaft is Hawkeye. And he's just he's just the bad version of Hawkeye. It really is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Cable decides to help them out. X-Force goes and rescues, or they go to the Mojoverse, meet up with the rest of Youngblood. And they kind of split up and do dynamics. And then the book kind of ends. Like, they kind of, it kind of gets to a point, like, where they're doing all this setup for the team coming together. And there's like, and then they complete the mission. Yeah. And the mission is essentially that Mojo does want to take over Youngblood's universe, right? He, wants, he wants he wants the streaming rights over there. He wants to be able to expand his network. I understand right. this. This is basic Mojo plots. This yeah. all makes sense. And, Mojo uh, is delightful here. Mojo. He's, he's great. Uh, Major Domo is great. You know, there's like this does have like a Mojo Mayhem style, uh, you know, energy to it. However, here's my caveat to that. And that is that um, like many an image comic, um, Roger Cruz is doing this thing where a lot of the action takes place off panel. Did you notice Which that? is weird for the action comic company, right? It is weird, right? So we get a like lot. Those are the supposed to be like the ones where you're drawing action figure poses, essentially. Yeah. That's- so. That's the appeal we, of their art. We get some of the poses. We get the characters standing around. We get the talking heads. But whenever there comes time for like a fight sequence or something dramatic to happen, it really doesn't seem to happen on panel. So it's kind of a mess. It is a huge mess. I don't understand how they got through this comic. I guess it's because they didn't know how to write comics, <laughs> which all of them have admitted. And the Todd was smart enough to be like, I can't write comics, but Alan Moore can, and I have money. <laughs> Alan Moore was everybody's saving grace, right? Neil Gaiman, you have money, or I have money. You know how to write comics. Would you like a billion dollars and then a like thirty-year lawsuit? Oh man! So there are some funny little like image crossover bits here. There is one panel in particular that I want to point out because. In reading these, I did kind of go down a Rob Liefeld like rabbit hole of death this past week. A rabbit hole. A rabbit hole. And there is a panel with Cable um, saying hello to a character named Colonel Bravo. And I had to look up who Colonel Bravo was. And when I did, I realized that the Rob essentially just changed Cable's eye, like his, his light up eye color and then strap two croutons to the side of Cable's head. And that's Colonel Bravo. So there's a panel. That's with Cable. Colonel, that's, 
that's Colonel Bravo. He's right. He's cru- he's croissant cable. And it's like, y'all know the Rob headgear. Like, yes. it looks like boxing headgear, which is not a good or attractive look on anybody. But not the Shatterstar boxing headgear. Like, no, just it's the, like the, the like headset. The middle the part, the middle part is a bandana. And then the <laughs> ear foam is extended up like antenna. Yeah, but they they look like croissants. Hey, Colonel Bravo, where is where is the Colonel Bravo mini series? I mean, I assume with Andrew Rev and Terrific Productions, never to see the light of day. I honestly don't know who has the rights to Colonel Bravo at the moment, but um... Andrew Rev, call me. I don't know anything about Young Blood or making comics, but me and Adam, <laughs> me and Adam would do Young Blood for cheap. I know that would happen. Oh, I'm not. Would I read that any? I. I mean, I'll look at the contract first. I'm not dumb, but like <laughs> if, if the worst thing that happens is it's work for hire, I'll be like, I don't oh, want to write comics. It, I'll come up with shaft, but good. It's way worse than that. They, there's no pain involved. It's, it's slavery. Oh, I, I will need compensation. Yeah. I don't need a lot. I did comics journalism. Trust me. I can, I can write for little money. Adam so, can't draw for little money though. Uh, no, not, neither of us will work for free. The uh, uh, hold on, we've done no, it really? in the past. Oh, well, Adam, okay. Adam, again, I wrote, friends maybe, but not. I wrote comics journalism for a lot of times. <laughs> uh, the last page does have Mojo flipping through some of the other extreme characters like Prophet, Supreme, or Glory. That uh, and some of them that just look like just nobody. I don't know who these characters are. Um, you know, for future potential spinoffs, which one of which two of which actually we will get to in just a moment. But um, why don't we try and rank Youngblood X-Force? The problem with Youngblood X-Force and trying to rank it on our big old list where we're ranking every X-Men story of all time from best to worst, a list in which we have 792 stories on our road to 800, uh, where the number 100th best story is the Shiva scenario from Wolverine, the first one's House of X, Powers of 10, y'all know this. Uh, the 200th is All-New Wolverine, Enemy of the State 2. 300 is Generations, Phoenix, and Jean Grey. 400 is Excalibur, Return of the War Piece. 500 is X-Men, No More Humans, OGN. 600 is that time that Magneto got to a baby. <laughs> 700 is Ultimate X-Men Requiem, or the Ultimatum stuff of Ultimate X-Men. 792 it's the worst X-Men story of all time. Say it with me, 29 and I World of Tomorrow. World of Tomorrow. All right. This so is not at, as bad as World of Tomorrow. No, no. And at 615, I think we have the superior uh, Wildcats X-Men. Wildcats X-Men, which is good. <laughs> at 626, we also have, I think, the, the superior Cyberforce X-Men, which, you know, is just straight to the point. We're the same characters. Let's fight a Sentinel. Um, it's great. Um, I'd say that at 634, we have Wolverine Badrock, and I enjoy Wolverine and Badrock fighting dinosaurs more than this. I would also agree. I think that that is a little bit more fun than this, but I don't hate this. Um, do you? I, I think, do you it's think it's better, better than, than the, the Star, Star Trek? Trek. Yeah, I do think Adam, it's better than the Star Trek. Adam, is it better than the Star Trek, where it, which has Dr. Bones McCoy and Dr. Hank McCoy talking to each other and acknowledging that they have the same name. All right. Maybe it's not better than the first Star Trek X-Men. It's definitely better than second contact, which is the next generation and X-Men crossover. I disagree. However, I think we could agree that it's not as good as X-Men unlimited 37, which is 
the one that has a lot of really good art in it. Okay. It's got like all the You've... all the X-Men. It's like the it's the into the Spider-Verse or across the Spider-Verse of X-Men Unlimited. <laughs> yes, I do remember that one. If you wanted to go below second contact, I would still put this ahead of Robert Kirkman's cable arc of Ultimate X-Men at 656. And I wouldn't, but that's why there's two of us on this podcast. I'm fine putting it above the next generation X-Men second coming. All right. So that's going to make this 653. Now, if the idea of Youngblood and X-Force hanging out in the Mojoverse appealed to you, guess what? There's a second dose because first we had Youngblood X-Force. Interesting about the headliner there. Next, we have in a similar prestige format, X-Force Youngblood, again, written by uh, Eric Stevenson. With uh, Robert Nippon doing some stuff as yep. well. And uh, with a host of inkers, we have drawing this particular issue, Splat. How familiar are you with Splat? I'm not, I'm not super familiar with Splat. All right, so children of the 90s will remember a specific time when Splat burst onto the scene, his full name, Stephen Platt, uh, as the hot new Moon Knight artist of the 90s. Lots. Oh, I have some of his issues, yes. Yes. Wait, hold on. Did he, okay, no, I thought he drew the best moon oh he only did four issues of mark specter moon knight that's not very much he just ended mark specter moon knight he doesn't have the mark spec the best mark specter moon knight cover uh which as a moon knight fan i've not read all of mark specter moon knight that's however okay. no judgment I, it, oh i'm not feeling judged but there's there is an incredible cover of mark specter moon knight it's number 19 and on it it has spider-man it's a rob liefeld cover uh, so it counts. It has Spider-Man, the Punisher, and Moon Knight on the cover. Hmm. And it has Wolverine's logo. And it says, Wolverine does not appear in this comic. <laughs> but with Spider-Man and the Punisher guest starring, we have a feeling you won't mind. Oh, wait, that's the Liefeld cover, isn't it? Yeah, it that's rules, a, a actually. Cover. Yeah, that's really funny. They're like, hey, we have this pinup sitting around. We might as well use it. <laughs> It's like, why do we have a pinup of Spider-Man, Moon Knight, and uh, the Punisher? I don't fully know. It's great. It's funny. So Splat is kind of renowned for doing these like hyper detailed, ultra like squunched up faces, um, you know, lots of lots of detail, uh, lots of like strings and things hanging off of Moon Knight. And uh, for a couple pages here, he you know, depending on who's inking him, he, he does have that style. It starts to get real loosey goosey about halfway through this thing. Uh, and oh, this, this boy loves crosshatches. Oh he? yeah. 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 But I have a feeling by the time he gets to the end, we're talking loose layouts at best. Uh, and the inkers are, are doing the heavy lifting here. So our teams get back together, right? Because the young blood team decides, well, you know, Bad Rock had been selected as the new savior of Mojoverse since Longshot was missing. And he decides, and with the team, they agree that they need to go back and, and I guess, save the Mojoverse. They need to save the Mojoverse. And I, I need anyone, if you are ever going to be writing a comic for the Marvel Comics Corporation, do yourself a favor and don't write a story where they finally defeat the Mojoverse. <laughs> people, people I hold dear in my heart have done this. And <laughs> It never lasts because 
the appeal of the Mojo verse is that Mojo runs it. It's the best thing about the Mojo verse. So it's going to happen. In fact, be more like the X baby series that had Mojo disposed and then immediately brought him back by the end. Cause they were like, yeah, we know what's going to happen here in, in Stevenson's defense. The very last panel of this particular issue does have Mojo saying he's already plotting a sequel. So they didn't actually defeat him. What's weird about this book is that it's, really dedicated to trying to fill in where Dazzler and Longshot were after X-Men 11. <laughs> yeah. Really this book is about what happened between X-Men 11 when Dazzler and Longshot announced that they're pregnant. Yep. And then X-Men 40, whatever, where Dazzler shows up again and she is not right. That's all this story is. It's what happened between there. I know there's a, not Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I figured, what's the what's the one anthology book that has Quest Probe in it? Marvel Fanfare. There is two issues there, of Marvel Fanfare. There is there is a new version of Marvel Fanfare that has a another long shot story. That I think I it's issues read. four and five of volume two. I think that's. I mean, that's also in between these. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm guessing that doesn't fill in any of the gaps either. Well, it's just kind of bonkers. Like, so it's basically. Stevenson is saying that number one, the agent from Youngblood X Force. Oh yeah, that was Dazzler. Yes, which is wild, wild. Love right? it. But that's wild. Yeah. Um, and then Longshot comes back on the last page, and Shatterstar's like, he doesn't say mom and dad, but he's basically like, hey, uh... <laughs> what's this about? Yeah, yeah. He's very interested in where Longshot is. Little did um, he know the real father was inside of him all along. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the Daddy Boros. I love the Daddy Boros so much. Yeah. Um, however, even though Daz and Longshot are both here, we get some more Mojo stuff. Um, I think the weirdest part about this is that I don't think Eric Stevenson read Shattershot because Ricochet Rita is in both of these issues. And yet we know from the, you know, the reveal and Shattershot that she is transformed into Spiral. So it's a little strange. Spiral is not in either of these books. The Mojoverse doesn't run in the normal times. Also, no one actually understands what happened in Shattershot. So it's fine. It's true. It's true. Including maybe even Fabes himself. But Uh, Fabes would be the first person (laughs) to say Shattershot's. I believe Fabian Cieza has said that Shattershot was the worst thing he ever wrote. Which I disagree with, but... Um, I know you do. Yeah. I think he's making some valid points. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with Fabes. You know, we all have our own recollections of our work. Unfortunately, this book is not nearly as... And, and we already noted how like poorly constructed the Roger Cruz one was, but the splat artwork falls apart real, real quick here. And we are left with lots of running around and explosions and off panel action. And it's not good. How does the plot again, just kind of happen? It's like, Mm -hmm. and now we saved it. And then it's like, hold on, wait, you spent 80% of this book setting up your big plan. And then it, your third act is what is just, and it worked. It's not even that anything worked at the very end. Mojo has caused his, you know, his lair right to collapse upon them and caliban and bad rock are holding up the ceiling the rest of the ceiling collapses everybody is suddenly okay and then long shots there and then the end 
there, nothing Listen, actually happens. That is the problem with this book. I would also say, and I think this is for both. Why is Youngblood here? It's a great question. I mean, we know that Bad Rock thinks that he's the Mojoverse savior, but... No, I mean, like, in both of these stories, oh. would would either of these stories be any different if, say, the champions of Los Angeles were here <laughs> instead of Youngblood? Or mayhaps some sort of force work or defenders? Here... Here lies the problem with Youngblood in general. Youngblood are designs, poor designs, and they're not very, like, aside from Bad Rock. Bad Rock, who, who has one personality trait. Pretty solid, you know, singular uh, personality trait. These characters are, there is no development. Like, I, I don't know who any of them are or why any of them are interesting. And I've read some Youngblood comics. In fact, I went back and read the original Youngblood uh, miniseries to get ready for this because I was like, huh, it's been a while since I revisited this. And it was just complete nonsense. You haven't caught up with Die Hard or Riptide or Night Saber. Hey, what's the deal with Night Saber? He's my least favorite. I believe he's British. That's why he's my least favorite, because he has a terrible <laughs> accent. Night Saber is not an original Youngblood, so I do not know anything about him. I like Die Hard's design, but I know nothing about him. Die Hard is essentially uh, Android Captain America. Again, this is a good the thing. These are the Avengers. Android Captain America. I'm actually a little surprised we don't have Android Captain America around as a major. What's what's that Mark Grunewald cap armor doing nowadays? Can that turn into uh, Android Captain America? What's pretty bonkers about Die Hard is that uh, Eric Larson also did Android Captain America. Um, he has a character called Super Patriot that is right. Also... The character that was supposed to be an X Factor. Yeah, right, right. Not <laughs> just. I don't know. It's so interesting that like they both have the same kind of character, but not okay. So here's the thing about the image, guys, and we're going to talk about this a bit more in our next story. Mm-hmm. None of them were idea men. I think they thought they were idea. Men. Oh, I know they thought they were idea men, but they weren't. Mm. <laughs> it's, the, it's the biggest thing. What is it? Spawn's a good idea. Spawn is just also Venom Ghost Rider. Yeah. Who stands around like, you know. Batman. He does Batman poses. Yeah, right. What is... What is Savage Dragon? Eric Larson had some Hulk sketches that he had to finish. And he was like, well, I'll give him a fin. In, all right, listen, far be it from me to defend Eric Larson's Savage Dragon. But Savage Dragon was an idea that was kicking around since he was like a kid. So we'll give him a little bit of credit for that. Right. But you're right. It is. I am sure. Just... I am sure the child Eric Larson, when he came up with his things, <laughs> was not at all inspired by popular 70s TV show, The Incredible Hulk, have featuring seen... a large green man. No, have you ever seen the original uh, drawings of the Savage Dragon? No, but I do want to find them. Go, go look. Looks nothing like the Hulk. And he has a tiny little fin, tiny little fin. No big fin. Um, I'm, I'm pulling this up right now. I'm just saying, listen, I don't want to, you know, cause like, obviously the, I'm agreeing with you, but there are certain exceptions. I, and I think that might be one of them. I don't know. Uh, I can't, I don't I'll know. share, I I'll share something with you. Later, Find but... it with me sometimes. Cause all it's pulling up. Thanks to the internet being what it is, is stuff about Savage Dragon 233, which is the one that 
Eric Larson just did a sex comic. There, there are many of those. Yeah. Um, you know, bless, bless his heart. He's just, um, perving out over there. Eric Larson is doing what he loves. <laughs> just is doing whatever he wants. <laughs> and he has said that he will make Savage Dragon until he dies. Cause he I, just has I, fun with it. I'm sure he will. Um, but however, to your point about them, not quote unquote being idea guys, a lot of this stuff is very recycled, right? Um, you know, if you go back to the the original Youngblood uh, miniseries, the very second issue features a team called the Berserkers, which famously was advertised by Rob Liefeld while he was still drawing X-Force in, in I forget what the publication is. And it was advertised as being a, a new team called the Executioners that were going to be published by Malibu. And Bob Harris sees this and immediately calls him for a cease and desist and tells him he's not allowed to do it. So what does he do when he gets to image instead of doing issue two of young blood, the very first characters you see there are the berserkers who are now this team who basically kind of look like cable and some other X-Men floating around. So it's insane. Also, I'm now seeing his original savage dragon design. This does look like a child made it and wasn't based around the Hulk. I'm just saying, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. I, I would say that maybe as he was redesigning him right after the Hulk, he could have taken some influence. Sure. He was like, you know, also this one's green too. Does the Max kind of look like, you know, Marvel Comics presents Sam Keith Wolverine plus Venom? Hold on. That's Sam just, just... I, I kind of, part of me thinks that's just the only thing Sam Keith draws. <laughs> I'm just it's saying. like weird jacked looking dudes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that was a character that had existed for, for before that anyway, but you know, like he, all of these characters, all these folks are just, you know, making amalgams of characters instead of necessarily like brand spanking new ones. No, amalgam was a different thing. We need to rank this because the conversation (laughs) we're having right now is what we're going to have, uh, when we talk about the next one, the next book, uh, this is worse, right? This is a lot worse. Unfortunately, the art is really bad and there's even less story here. So it's still not as bad as the Witchblood Wolverine story. No, no, that one's really bad, but that's pretty low, isn't it? Where's, that one's near that the bottom of our list. Oh, yeah. Is um, this better or worse than Captain Marvel 2 and 3? Where Fabian the Sea is a fails to explain Adam X to the extreme. I want to say this is better. <laughs> is this better or worse than... Amazing Spider-Man 420. This is not as good as Amazing Spider-Man. Thank you for thank you for saying that. No, I appreciate it. I also don't think for all of its flaws. I think the first three issues of Claremont's X-Men Revolutions 100 to 102 is probably better than this. Look, let's put it between that Captain Marvel story and Ultimate X-Men 98 to 100. Great idea. So this will be our new 702. Yeah, it is. And folks. We're going to keep going with ideas here because our next story is Profit Cable 1 and 2. That's right. Here's the thing about what I was thinking. I was thinking about this all week after we read this. I know the TV show The Office has an interesting reputation because the internet has now gotten involved in watching it. Okay. I'm saying this as a gentleman who was one of the 10 people who watched The Office on NBC every Thursday night when it was coming out. I say one of 10 people, it was the most popular show on NBC. NBC I was just going to say, I didn't want to contradict you on that, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, for As 
all I'm saying is if you actually look at the ratings, The Office was only if The Office was on any other network, it would have been immediately canceled. But NBC was NBC was a channel no one was watching and yet for a hot spell was putting out banger after banger that have come back in the age of streaming. That is true. Anyway, uh, I assume you're familiar with the TV show The Office. But I've watched all of it. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, the part where Michael Scott starts a paper company and he's in negotiations and they're trying to figure out. And the one guy's like, the one guy that's not Idris Elba is telling him that he has nothing. He's like, he's like, I have nothing. If this company fails, I'll start another paper company and another one. I have so many names for paper companies (laughs) that I feel is Rob Liefeld's approach to creating (laughs) characters for his comic books. My God. Because he even he didn't one profit is just cable, right? Like profit is cable, kind of. Hi, I am your new time traveling guy who's buff and looks like cable. I would like to um, just note that there is a forward to this that claims that profit was going to be another character introduced during X-Force, which... And I I believe it because, again, I, I don't think don't, Rob had a lot of ideas. Don't know if I believe that. I fully believe it because Rob doesn't have a lot of ideas. The interesting thing about profit that I learned from this, I did not know it, is that profit has his own strife. Yes, profit <laughs> has his own strife. Um, this is why I feel like Prophet is a cable because he looks yes. like cable. He's a time traveling guy and he has a strife. Yes. Like an identical. I don't know if they're twins. I don't know their relationship. They they do have the same face and uh, Prophet's, quite literally Prophet's twin. Yes. Quite literally face to face is named Crypt. So Prophet Cable is two issues long. Two issues longer than it needs to be. Rob Liefeld does the story. Robert Napton does the script. The first half of the first issue is drawn by Mark Pajarillo and Rob actually does contribute about half of the issue here um, with Norm Rappend and Jonathan Sabal and inks. This is the only time that Rob is actually contributing artwork this episode, which I think is interesting. Look, work smarter, not harder. If you got a lot of guys who are cloning (laughs) your work and also you're notoriously kind of bad at deadlines anyway. Yes. So the, Basic idea here is that Crypt, the twin of Prophet. Okay, they are twins. I don't know if they're twins. I don't actually know what Crypt's like. Wait, I'm sorry. You didn't go back and read all of Prophet for this? I did go back and read some Prophet because this is the other funny thing about the Youngblood original four issue miniseries, five issue miniseries, is that the very second issue where Youngblood is like not even starting off the issue. We do meet not only Prophet, but we also meet Prophet's sidekick as one of the berserkers, this guy named Kirby, who is supposed to literally be Jack Kirby. Did you know that when, you know how Image was started, right? Yes. Did you know, you knew that the Todd, who was at least on good terms with the Kirby family, wanted just like Marvel Comics says Stan Lee presents, the Todd wanted image to say Jack Kirby presents. Really? I've never heard that before. That's yes. Bonkers. And Ro- and Rosalind Kirby said, I don't think Jack wants to do that. <laughs> it was like, he's old. We're not going to stir the pot. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, uh, listen, again, their work in some of their actions as humans, I, I've got mixed feelings on the image boys. 
Mm-hmm. The bad boy attitude that they bring around the dumbest stuff is good. Because here's the thing. If all you're doing is picking on Marvel, on Marvel Comics, then you're okay in my book. Because Marvel Comics is a bad company. Like, historically. Sure. And presently sometimes. Uh-huh. So, like, also, they're the most popular thing in the world. Again, it is okay to make fun of Marvel. Ah, uh, well, it's okay to make fun of Marvel, except if the thing you're creating is um, really bad. You do have the danger of a pot kettle situation. Exactly. So profit's not good. No. Um, profit's whole deal is that he is a super enhanced super soldier created in a lab that was then sent back in time. Maybe um, he has a floating spaceship named doc, right? Does that sound familiar not to prof. anybody? Not prof, not prof, but doc. Yes, he does have that. Yes. Um, but, and then he also has this, this sidekick Kirby, um, who, you know, keeps him working out or whatever. So anyway, crypt captures Domino, the most capable woman in the world. Doesn't make any sense that Domino gets beat up and thrown over crypt's shoulder in the first couple pages of this, but okay. Sucks. Honestly, I'm like, come on. Yeah. Cable, obviously goes to find his large bathtub partner. Yep. Meets. Meets Prophet is like, I saw the face of the man who took Domino and it was your face. And I do love that Prophet says, no, that's a different guy that looks just like me. Cable immediately understands and accepts this. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. He, they do beat the crap out of each other for several Liefeld pages. That happens before he explains, (laughs) no, hold on, wait. You're not going to believe this, but I have an evil identical twin. I do feel like... If the Rob had a little bit more self-awareness, he would have taken a beat and had Cable explicitly acknowledge how much sense that makes to him and only him. What's really funny is that what stops the fight is Kirby holding a gun up to Cable's head so the Prophet can explain this to him. And then we get the added punchline of this is actually all a plot of Kang the Conqueror. Continuing his streak of never being in a good comic. It's King the Conqueror, everybody. There's going to be some Kurt Busiek Avengers fans in my mentions, which don't exist anymore. You can't even get in my mentions, folks. Now, what's funny about this is not just that Kang is here, but that Rob Rob does not know how to draw Kang. Yeah. What's with Kang looking like he's wearing a gimp suit from a Pulp Fiction? The Rob has one evil villain smiling face, and it is the Toad from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants arc. And it's demented on Kang's face in <laughs> Kang's face mask. Yes, it's it's, it's upsetting to really look at. Bad. It's like that's say what you will about the bad movie Ant Man Wasp Quantum Mania. They found a way to be like, yeah, this is what Kang's face mask looks like, right? We yeah. all agree it's not just a sock. They, they they did do a nice job with that visual design. Um, I thought the face mask worked. Now, Rob draws Kang again in the second issue, even though he's uncredited. He does about three or four pages of the second issue, which is drawn by Mark Barrio and Paul Scott. And apparently this actually all revolves not around, you know, Crypt and Kang, but Kang trying to get the cosmic cube that Cable put at the end of all time. 
Sure. I don't know when Cable did that. It sounds like something that Cable would do. I guess. I don't know. So I we... think Cable had a version of himself that he also put at the end of time that Deadpool had to kill at one point to prove to Strife that he had killed Cable. Hmm, fun. So did whether Jared Duggan's Deadpool run, there's some stuff in it. Whether this is playing off existing storylines or not, um, it basically means that for a nice chunk of time, we just get people fist fighting on floating space rocks. Yeah, again, the book does then just kind of end. Yeah, I think Kang gets sucked into the Cosmic Cube, but that's very visually unclear. And then everybody just goes home. Yeah, again, <laughs> this book just ends. Yes. yes. There is no denouement. There is no wrap up. There is no there is no cool down from the height of the third act action. It is You're acting akin, like there is a three act structure. There, I mean <laughs> it's fairly It's unique. akin to the end of the movie Godzilla King of the Monsters that immediately ends with Godzilla winning, screaming into the air, and then Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla starts playing in the yes. hypest thing to ever happen. Yes. I'm sorry, Rodan does bow to Godzilla before that. Pretty That's sick. the denouement of the movie is Rodan's being like, yep. you are the king of the monsters. And then it's like, bow, 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 bow. It's sick. Um, well, I do want to, because we have the opportunity to dunk on the Rob here. Um, it's, it's not often that we actually get a chance to talk about like post Marvel Rob artwork. And there is a two page, turn the book sideways, the two page splash of cable before he goes off the beat profit up. And when I tell you, he looks so ridiculous. I, I don't know what the things are that are hanging off his back. One of them kind of looks like, um, like there's like cannons hanging off his back. One of the things I guess is supposed to be a sword handle, but it kind of looks like a candy cane. And then his actual gun kind of looks like it's wrapped in leather and it has no joke a handicapped safety bar on the side of it for some reason there is no trigger on the gun and cable's fingers look like vienna sausages it is bananas how bad they're strong <laughs> there's an energy to everything rob life drew from 1989 to 1993 sure and then something goes off the rails because he stops drawing every day and uh then he just he loses the spark of life that made all of his wild choices like gloss over in a teenage boy's mind mm -hmm. and then it just turned into something weird very strange very strange. I know we give Rob Liefeld a lot of hard times. And I feel like actually maybe we don't give him enough sometimes. We don't <laughs> give him enough hard times. We should make fun of Rob Liefeld. I mean, come on. We're in our attitude era here. You thought I forgot. I did not forget that we are in our attitude era. Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah. Um, and we we forgot to, to rank this. <laughs> we didn't forget to rank this, Adam. It's just here's the thing, guys. Folks, y'all listening to this, if you can't tell that there's no substance to any of these stories <laughs> by the fact that this entire episode has been weird digressions of me and Adam talking, which again, me and Adam talking is kind of what you want out of the show, right? This like is why episodes I, in? this is why I picked this theme for this week. Love that. Love that for us. Love that for you, Adam. Bad comic. Not, yeah. is it as bad as X-Force no. Youngblood? It's I don't not. think it is. I think it's a little bit better, but um, not, not a lot better. 
Looks like is it better or worse? Away. Is it better or worse than Wolverine Knight of Terra? <sighs> no, it's better. Is it? I think it's kind of better than Knight of Terra. I mean, okay. Wait, no, I said that the wrong thing. I said I meant Knight of Terra is better than this. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. We're, I was gonna yeah, say. we're better or worse than that Wolverine diehard Santa Claus story that wasn't very good. It's worse. That one's more legible. Yeah. Yeah. This is worse. It's um, better or worse than the time the X Men fought Frankenstein. Frankenstein's better, definitely. Yeah, it is. It's uh, definitely better. X Men Forever, Love and Loss. Mm, I'll give this the edge. What do you think? I think. Yeah. I also <laughs> think that Brew story is better. So this can be our new seven hundred. Okay. Great. Then we can remember it for, you know, the next couple of weeks while it's there. <laughs> for the next week. We're getting close, Adam. We're getting close on the road to 800. That's crazy. <sighs> wow. It's a sign. It's a sign that we have been doing this for so long. Yeah. So, folks, I don't know if we would actually recommend you look at any of the books we talked about this week, but they hopefully provided some very entertaining listening for you. I hope so. Don't tell me if it didn't. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to know. I don't care if it did or didn't. <laughs> hey, Adam. Hi. What you got? Anything you need to plug? Um, I guest appeared in a really fun opening with uh, my one and only Anna Papard over on Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow, the episode where they talk about Excalibur 100. So if you want to go over there and listen to that, that's cool. Um, Twitter at Arthur Stacy, Instagram, Adam.Rec. Zach, don't try and find him anywhere. Except for Goodreads, if you want to, kind Goodreads, of. Goodreads, yes. You're allowed. You are absolutely allowed to follow me on Goodreads because what I've noticed is that they can't say anything to me. Oh, hold on. I have a plug. I have another plug. That's not. Oh, plug. Plug. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm gonna eat a Twizzler while you're doing that. Okay. So, hold on. I'm twizzing. I'm twizzing. It's gonna make terrible mic noises. Okay. I'm, I'm twizzing. <laughs> Let's go. No, no worries. I, Twizzlers are great. Okay. So, um, Zach made a podcast plug before I want to make a podcast plug. Cause I forgot to do it earlier when he did his, um, friends of the yeah, show. No podcast plug, but it's fine. No one's left. I did a good read plug. No. What was the podcast you talked about early in the show that you said was awesome? Oh, girl got experience. Yeah. Go listen yeah. to that. Okay. So, um, Similarly, if you are looking for another great podcast and you are a horror fan, I want to recommend to you Out to Get You, um, which is hosted by Margot Mutter and Rebecca Galt. It is fantastic. It is looking at horror movies in a completely unique way. And um, so far, the first two episodes covered Hellraiser and Sleepaway Camp. Um, so highly recommend that if you are into horror. So that is my podcast recommendation to you. Um, back to our stuff. Do we know what we're doing next week, Zach? Spider-Man adjacent things. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, we do whatever we can. Do we? <laughs> do we really? Sure. This has been Battle of the Atom. If I sound fuzzy, it's because I got some Twizzlers. But we hope you survive the experience. Get it!